0: Well, uh, this is the the second uh, in a series after a long break of uh, the Social Party's Dangerous Ideas podcast uh, series. The first one we had uh, way before the election campaign kicked off was themed around the housing crisis. And uh, this time around, we're looking at issues relating to uh, the situation in our workplaces, uh, in our trade union movement. Um, and we have joining us um, uh, three uh, trade union activists uh, all involved in kind of current uh, struggles. And issues who'll be talking about those particular issues but also maybe just wider lessons for our workers in general young people in general who may be only entering the workforce and, and finding a way in terms of getting themselves organized standing up uh, for their rights um, i have joining us um, tony greg who's the secretary of the national ambulance service representatives association or nasra for short who've been uh, locked in a, a, a very significant uh, recognition dispute uh, with the HSE over the course Well, depending on which way you look at it, over the last number of months or the last uh, number of years uh, as well, uh, we have Stephen Nugent, who is a a bus errand uh, driver uh, and represents on the national executive of the National Bus and Rail Workers Union, uh, the Broadstone Garage, which I believe is the biggest uh, bus errand uh, depot. Uh, Again, a very significant defensive struggle, I would call it, was fought in early 2017 in bus errand when the, uh, the way it was presented to the public, the very viability and future of the company uh, was on the line but basically the workforce was made or uh, to pay a price uh, supposedly for the the survival of that company but uh, as Stephen will explain uh, we're only uh, two and a bit years on from that and they're potentially embarking upon well certainly a struggle around the issue of pay but also there's other issues related to working conditions security and so on which uh, Stephen will talk a little bit as well and then uh, thanks to Buserlin we don't have Amy Ferguson uh, in with us in our makeshift uh, studio here, um, Amy is uh, uh, ringing in from Oma uh, because uh, the the bus air and bus from that Kenny was apparently full uh, before it reached uh, Oma. So uh, we, yeah, the quality of Amy's not not the quality of what she has to say, but the quality the sound quality may be a bit uh, worse than uh, than the three of us that are in the studio here. And Amy is active in the uh, recently enough formed uh, hospitality branch of Unite, the Trade Union. Uh, which has made, I think, quite significant headway in uh, the organisation of young workers in the hospitality trade, bars, restaurants uh, and the likes. Uh, so that that's obviously a, a significant dimension uh, to things. So, but rather than kind of launching straight into the specifics of the, the kind of the current struggles that the people are involved in, I might just start maybe ask people in turn maybe to say a little bit about what got them involved in the trade union movement uh, to begin with. Uh, Tony I'll bring you in because you, you, you weren't a, an ambulance worker from the, the time you after school that that was a more recent thing. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the point at which you, you joined the ambulance service and getting active in the union and what actually led to the initial formation of Nazareth?
1: Well funny enough I actually, uh, the first union I joined was the NBU <laughs> believe it or not. Um, the national bus union? The national bus union. Yeah. Uh, I was a, a bus conductor and I learned basically the principles of the trade union movement from there at at a very early age from 18 years onwards it's the first job i had from school and i spent about 10 years in it and i learned of you know about solidarity and how trade unions work and the first thing i was told when i went in was you know here's here's your union card there was really one union there at the time and it was you know uh, it was a a union that was run by members it was member driven and i remember even speaking, I think, to, the, to one of the founders of the of the union at the time was going back that far now, Tom Derby. So that was, me, uh, that was my early days and introduction to the trade union movement. And I think after six or seven weeks, I was so impressed with the representatives and their commitment and the solidarity that they were showing and fighting for workers' rights that I foolishly went and asked them, how did you become a trade union rep? And they laughed at me and told me to go out and spend a couple of years before and then come back to them, you know? Was, which was fair enough because uh, it's, it's a trade that needs to be learned over over a number of years. And I carried that on with me then into the Ambulance Service, those basic fundamental principles of the trade union movement, it's the, the Larkin Connolly ideology of trade union uh, activity um, where unions is run by the, by the workers from the bottom up and not from the top down. And the reason, you know, when I became a trade union representative in the Ambulance Service and I, was th- I became very quickly disillusioned because it became apparent that unions uh, had begun to be run from the top down rather than the bottom up and the opinion uh, of the collective of the workers themselves was very often ignored and directives were given where you know, it, it almost appeared as if the union officials were empowered to make decisions on our behalf because we had elected them into those positions up to the point where it was obvious then that union representatives started to uh, um, when they were you know, representing people deals would be made before we had the meeting and you would uh, you know it would even be a case that you know it, it, it turned out that union representatives when they were going into meetings with management were essentially doing a job interview and eventually they became promoted from the trade union system from the trade union uh, organization. I was surprised at that myself till I looked into it it's a historical flaw that we have sometimes that trade union representatives are very often uh, promoted into management positions and we can go back even to 1913 when the tram drivers you know, stepped off their cars at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and the, the managers in the office came out and actually drove the trams because they have been promoted through the system and I suspect most of them were probably union, rep- union representatives who uh, were in the unions of the management's choice at the time. Um, So there was favouritism obviously in the system for somebody who complied with the company's uh, rules and regulations and preferences in terms of terms and conditions. The tram drivers unfortunately didn't agree with that and started to go into dispute and begin the struggle because they were not allowed to join the union of their choice which was obviously Larkin's union at the time. Our circumstances today in the ambulance service are almost identical. The disillusionment with the trade union movements um, an appetite for the opinion of uh, members to direct the union leadership rather than uh, a polarised version of that and then obviously the uh, HSE uh, and government's preference for us to join a union of their choice. we, we, we come on to the, to
0: the current juncture and the Struggle but I'll bring Stephen in uh, because again similar to Tony you, you were not someone who walked out of school and straight into Bucerne which you would have had other workplace Experiences before going in. Do You want to tell us a little bit about that, like and maybe what formed your uh, your background. You know, before you kind of uh,
2: obtained the position you did in uh, Broadstone. Yeah, certainly, I yeah. probably would have got my influence probably from my father, who was um, a worker in Premier Dairies, forced in Dublin Dairies, and then went on into HB, and that was heavily unionized, and I often witnessed some of the struggles He, um, he uh, undertook during his time there. Um, I then I actually went on to it to my first job as a subsidiary of, 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 of Dublin Dairies which would have been Green Hill Foods another, another it would have been the yogurt and cream end of things there which was heavily unionised so as a young lad I watched my, my boss at the time was the union rep in there so I started getting involved in trade union stuff from there my next job then was actually working for Mr Kipling Cakes which had no trade union so um been there for a couple of years, and I actually tried to introduce a union into Mister Kipling, which was
0: exceedingly hard. Sorry it, about that. It, it was
2: exceedingly hard, and it was it was it was it was beaten because probably the, the lack of fight from my my colleagues, but also when it was brought in, the the company quickly made everybody agents as as compared to directly employed representatives. So we were all then agents, now self-employed. So as, it was a, a, as it a direct self-employment. As a, yeah, exactly. As a direct result of trying to introduce a trade union, I, for a few years then I became uh, sort of self-employed, and then eventually I made my way to Um Then a couple of years into Busitemp, quickly my eyes were opened, and the the, the the attack on, on on public transport, and that was the government's intentions to. Tender out one hundred percent of the routes operated by Dublin Bus and Bus and um, we fought that dispute. I think it was a two days all out, all out dispute, and eventually there was an agreement made that ten percent of the routes would be eventually tendered out. Um, that's that's an issue now which is beginning to raise its head again. In the background, we understand that they're going to be coming after more of the routes very shortly, and we're trying to. Um, we're trying to trying to devise a campaign now to head there off. Um I've actually probably been in the doll during the week with, with Ruth Coppinger um to try and introduce a bill to stop the re of routes um before we can see the results of of the tendering process which these routes will be offered by the private operators. So that's where I am now. That, that brings up us today.
0: And Amy, if you can hear us okay, um, I'd say yeah. you're um, do you, you want to give us a little bit of background, like uh, in terms of uh, how you yourself got involved in the hospitality branch of Unite, and maybe say a little bit about the headway uh, that that they've made? Yeah, sure. So um, I
3: don't know. What- a little bit different to the other two speakers, I've really only ever worked in the hospitality industry, which is notorious for its lack of organisation. Um, I guess what sort of brought me around trade union activism was actually when I was growing up, when I hit fifteen, sixteen, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of struggle on the streets in in the north around um, marriage equality and abortion rights, and I really sort of threw myself into those struggles, which led sort of round up an anger in me to sort of demand better for myself. Um, and and, and that, was, that was the same sort of philosophy I brought with me to work. So when I saw, you know, the, the fact that I was on a zero-hour contract, that I was getting paid less for someone who was, do, who was older than me but doing the exact same job, I sort of tried to almost take on my employer just by myself, you know, just would get into arguments and that. Um, I didn't really know there was another way, I guess, until, again, through sort of, engaging with broader political struggles I sort of came towards sort of socialist ideas which from there taught me the sort of importance of collective organizing which then lead me to find um, even the existence of trade unions so from there then I actually um, helped establish with another a group of other bartenders in Belfast the hospitality branch and um, now we've only been going for less than a year and we're already on a membership of about a couple hundred um there's a long way to go but i think even just having the presence of a trade union um especially in such an industry where it's not common and sort of teaching young people how they can stand up has made a huge impact in, into the into the um, industry okay.
0: just uh on that, Amy, like, one thing that strikes me, I haven't been a barman myself in, in a former life, uh, that a lot of the hospitality trade, I'm sure it's the same north and south, is that by nature, you know, it uh, tends to be young people involved, maybe in full-time education still. And oftentimes, you don't see the job that they're in necessarily as a long-term uh, career move, if you know what I mean. And, and that has tended to mitigate against people kind of committing to a union and committing to getting organised because they may feel that you know, that they're going to be moving on to something else. So uh, uh, ha- has that been a an issue or an obstacle, or how did you manage to overcome that to bring in a couple of hundred people into the union? I mean, yeah, it's definitely a huge
3: issue, because even... Cause even um even though that trend is sort of changing that i think a lot of young people unfortunately have had to accept that they're going to be in the hospitality industry for a long time you're still not actually going to stay within the same workplace for longer than a year the average is usually about nine months so um in order to sort of get around that we've had to make sure that whilst we of course are organizing individual workplaces and building um for industrial struggle there in individual bars and that we've also um these people together from these different workplaces, all the members and activists from the different workplaces, to build a broader umbrella campaign um, th- with Unite Hospitality and that we'll do street stalls and um, where we'll um, make the public aware of the conditions in hospitality, but also to make public the hospitality workers aware. Um, to show the hospitality workers how they can step back, what the role of the union is and h- h- how, how they can connect with us. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's ultimately what we've tried to do. Um, and we also have to make the point that uh, a trade union isn't just with you exactly for one workplace you know it's something and um, no matter what industry you're gonna be in the employers never gonna be on your side your employer is always going to try and find a way to get the absolute most out of you to extract the absolute most profit out of you while giving you as little as they can back so you just have to, to make those points obvious to people you
0: know just um, one thing that I think maybe maybe the the three guests have in common, even though they're coming from quite different backgrounds, is that um, often when people consider uh, the role of the trade unions, that the, the core issue often is pay and the defence of uh, of jobs. But sometimes those uh, non-pay related issues can be the spore for uh, for particular campaigns and struggles. And, and, and certain things that have occurred to me in, in kind of observing uh, the, the the three different workplaces that our guests are involved in is that uh, if you take the, the hospitality trade, I think uh, tips has been a, an issue around which has, um, you know, struggle has been fought at the ivy restaurant in dublin but also the issue of sexual harassment in, in the hospitality trade has brought some people out uh, glo- globally you know in, in, in um, the likes of mcdonald's i think in the united states but also even in, in google which is non-unionized but then when it comes to uh, Bussehrden and uh, Stephen uh, there's going to be uh, an action potentially uh, coming up around the issue of, of just uh, security uh, uh, driver security and so on do you want to tell us a little bit about that
2: it's been an issue now probably for the past couple of years, um, anti-social behaviour on public transport. There's been like a steady stream of assaults, intimidating behaviour and bad behaviour on, 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 our, on our transport systems. And we raised it uh, probably for the past year and a half and we were sort of black it away. Look, this is not happening too often, it's not too bad, nothing happening here. Until it really kicked off there to the start of the year where two of our drivers one in Atulia and one in Boscarys was that badly assaulted. They were hospitalised, and then several other incidents um, occurred since. And we've been like we've been sort of starting a campaign, and especially on the rail and uh, Dublin bus and ourselves. Now Dublin bus now have have a situation where if there was ongoing antisocial behaviour, they pull over an area. The rail aren't so fortunate. They're very badly manned, and they're, they're quite exposed there conductors there who were dealing with people who don't want to pay fares and be some very serious assaults on them um, but as far as bus Ireland is, 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 is a, a really different situation is that the drivers carry a, la- a large amount of cash and especially at night time they're quite isolated and can, and can, they've come across several intimidating uh, incidents and it really raised this ugly head there especially last monday evening where the driver was, was operating from bus service and a passenger got on with a false id card or free travel pass and the driver wasn't going to let him travel on, the, on, on this on this free travel pass but so there was a sharp object uh, produced and was told that he'd be stabbed in the back of the head or the back of the neck if he wasn't brought the to draw it got very little support off the company and there was no guard arrived on the scene so that was the final straw and i have since written to the company to, to, to ask for proper procedures to be brought in i have been campaigning for safety screens and a public transport police to be brought in as well no reaction to this whatsoever. Minister Ross originally gave us a positive response but now it's just being put to the back burner, nothing's happening whatsoever. So after meeting the company today I asked was there any final response from the company in the, the positive response towards safety screens or public transport, met with a complete blank. So I've given notice to the company that from next towards to the onwards I've identified three problem areas in Avon, Nace and Wicklow Town that we will not be serving the towns directly, we will be serving them on the outskirts of the town and continuing on um, from 8pm to 5am that morning. We've been also uh, withdrawn our P- PSO services from the bus station from 8pm to 5am the following morning up to Connolly station um, because of the lack of security at the bus areas has to be highlighted and we have said if there's no security provided over Connolly station, the drivers will then move on and won't serve Connolly station either. So, this is the situation we're in at the moment because the, the ongoing antisocial behaviour, attacks on public transport drivers should be met head on, I believe, and not just, just let happen before there's going to be a fatality on the road. Just,
0: just, Tony, to bring you in, like uh, one thing that I think was very striking um, for those of us uh, getting familiar with the issues that ambulance workers were, were uh, dealing with was that survey. I can't remember now whether it was uh, commissioned by the HSE itself or, or from some other quarter about the actual. Uh, the experience of bullying, harassment within the ambulance service, and then just basically un- unpleasant working conditions, uh, leaving aside even the pay issue, and that being a real driver uh, in terms of of the discontent amongst uh, uh, members. Do you want to tell us a
1: little bit about that? Well, we we were aware that we had a, a bullying and an intimidation and a harassment issue for many years before the uh, HSC themselves commissioned the survey. It was run by the MRBI people. We, we have statistics that validated the uh, organization of a trade union such as ourselves be, uh, on, the, on the back of that report. It, it, it was a clear indicator as to why uh, we have the opinion of workers that we need a fight in trade union. The, the report itself just on the bullion uh, issue, again, we were aware of it long before the report. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about the week before, I'm talking about many tens of scores of years before the, the report that we had an issue. Um, the, the bullying issue, uh, I think, off the top of my head, I think 64% of staff had witnessed uh, bullying and intimidation and harassment in the actual workplace. And one of the other interesting uh, uh, figures that came from that was that when the question was asked, do you have, do you, think your union has the right to represent you only 20% of staff actually agreed so 80% of staff thought that unions didn't have a right or were effective in representing the workers and so we had a a, an environment where bullying intimidation and harassment was allowed to to mature and grow and become a huge problem short of everybody being bullied intimidated and harassed you know the figures couldn't get any worse to be quite honest with you in 2016, the, the incidence of bullying and intimidation and harassment, I think, we're, I think we were at uh, 52% or something like that. Well, we, we jumped in 2018 report by 14%. And,
0: and why is that? Why do you
1: think it's gotten worse? Well, what, what, what is happening in the Ambulance Service is that the, the Ambulance Service are attempting to introduce a quasi-military structure of uh, people mm-hmm. management. And our managers uh, assume the role of an officer they actually believe that they're running a military structure and instead of offering a reasonable request to a worker that allows the worker to risk assess the request and decide whether it's safe to complete or not they're actually issuing them with instructions and directives and failing uh, to follow the in- instruction or directive you'll be brought straight through the disciplinary procedure which is an authoritarian system that they're trying to replace or they're trying to replace our, our, our ordinary working um, the practices boy, and we have uh, young people who have uh, been subject to that to the point where, um, some of them have been forced into doing twenty-hour shifts, um, and that would be after six or seven workers previous to being issued with that instruction, would have refused this and would have been suspended, for refusing to cooperate with a reasonable request, um, and suspended long-term pending investigation. The, well you know the the, the un- inexperienced young worker is then looking at the example that has been set in terms of the authoritarian system that's in mm-hmm. place and they're preferring actually to comply with uh um a request or a directive to perform beyond their capacity exposing themselves to uh, a risk great risk to themselves the danger the people that they uh, that they're carrying on the ambulances and to everybody else around them and we had an example of that quite recently only 12 months ago or even mm-hmm. less in Cork where two workers completed a 20-hour shift the instruction that was offered to the experienced workers previous to this crew getting the call refused to do the call on the grounds that they predicted following the risk assessment that it would potentially be a 20-hour shift that it would take to complete the task and refused or suspended the call was passed on to two inexperienced workers who completed the task who couldn't turn up for work the next day because they were actually too fatigued and were absent on, uh, on sick leave. So we, we, we're aware of of the circumstances which cause the numbers in the actual uh, surveys themselves. I'm well aware of it before the HSE even decided, you know what, well, it might be a good I- idea to have a survey. And we started six or seven years before the idea of survey was introduced on the grounds that bullying, intimidation, harassment, and the changing of working under reasonable requests for a authoritarian, uh, quasi-military system, um, uh, you know, w- would be put in place was the uh, you know the launch pad for us to start, because our unions had failed to oppose that, um, and we thought, look, look, we've got enough of this. Let's start off and uh, uh, and represent ourselves. I
0: think that's kind of essential background for people to hear because you know people who aren't acquainted with what's. Been taking place in the ambulance service, like they may ask a question like, uh, why go through a struggle effectively for union recognition? Like, uh, you know, why sacrifice a few days' pay at a time engaging in industrial distraction for that for, for the actual sake of recognition in the first place when there already is a recognized union, um, you know, in the, in the ambulance uh, service? And I think background there like that people don't uh, en- enter into those type of struggles and sac- and the sacrifices that go with them uh... noise mindedly but just just to, to bring things a bit uh... up to date uh, therefore um... you've been locked in, in a in a recognition battle so to speak but now it's not a, a very recent formation it's been around for almost a decade uh... at this stage uh, but things reached the a new phase of conflict when the uh, HSE uh, ceased to de- do the deductions at source and therefore to try financially destabilize the union and the things kind of took off from there
1: late last year. We had general terms and conditions in the ambulance service which have been replaced by single contracts for, for, for workers individually where workers are individually responsible so they don't understand the collective so you know they didn't believe in trade unions as you know, in keeping with the percentages with the response in in the survey with regard to do you think your, your union can represent you. So we, we, we organised way back in, in 2010 and we had, a, we had a fingertip count 10 years later of 611 people, which exceeded the 50% mark of frontline paramedics employed by the ambulance service. And that was a direct, uh, a direct affront to the concept of removing the collective from the system. We were organising. We had a, a successful trade union. Um, we were, uh, we weren't poaching people. We weren't chasing people down from other unions. We told people we're here. This is what we're doing. We did our work. They liked what they saw. They bought in. They believed in the ideology that we were putting forward to them. That this is a fighting trade union and they bought into it in, in huge numbers up to 611 mm-hmm. people. But the, the, what happened was was that the HSC decided that this has gone against our policy and collective uh, opinion. We need to boost this. So they actually pulled the plug and decided that the union subscriptions that were being stopped at source, identical to the members of other trade unions, was not something that they could uh, proceed with mm-hmm. in terms of, of ourselves and organising. So they pulled the plug. They deployed the union busting tactic essentially, and threw a grenade into the system, and uh, scattered us from 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 where we were to uh, you know a- anywhere we found ourselves after the blow. But we we've we've now actually started to to regroup and are galvanising our numbers again. Essentially, what the HSE did was overnight they pulled the plug on a fighting trade union and made sure that nobody found it attractive anymore. Um, it,
0: it, it's I think it's the first. Uh, Certainly instance within living memory of um, that kind of a, a aggressive de-recognition of, um, of a trade union in the public service. I mean, the only precedence uh, I can recall, I know the Conservatives in Britain uh, ended at the the checkoff system in the, the British Civil Service. And the, the PCS union, which had 300,000 members, effectively overnight had to re-recruit through standing orders or direct debits their entire membership. But it was an enormously... These Now, people often correctly make the point that there are problems with the check-off system in the sense that in the, in the more distant past, uh, union subs were collected on a weekly or monthly basis in cash, and it was more face time. Therefore, between the union rep, it was doing the collecting and, and the workforce. That that is all true. But when you get a, a government body, uh, kind of uh, deciding off their own bat to do it, they do it for very bad reasons. It's not to, to try and foster a more face-to-face contact between the union reps and their workforce. But it's precisely trying to try and destabilise uh, the unions uh, financially. The Australian conservative government did something similar twenty uh, something years ago. I think under the, under the Paul Howard uh, prime ministership, they effectively right across the public service ordered uh, the public service employers to to end the checkoff system to try and you know basically force the unions. And maybe take advantage of the fact that some of the unions if they weren't doing that, their work well at leadership level and had a passive financial membership that wasn't actively engaged that they had that work cut out for them and, and some of them didn't in fact manage to, to re-engage uh, their membership but the, the issue of union recognition Amy is something that's kind of more um, associated with the with the private sector but in terms of, of the the work that you have done so far in the hospitality sector I mean I would imagine that the 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 predisposition of employers in the hospitality sector is, is not to recognize the union and but you might say uh, how many employers so far have been c- confronted with the reality of their workforce joining a union and what has their re- response uh, been, you might kind of give us a couple of uh, case studies of, uh, of particular workplaces uh, you have uh, done your organising work in so far and, and the employer reaction. Well,
3: just, just to start off with, I mean um, even when we don't have organisation campaigns, this is just sort of an anecdote. When we first started, the employers obviously were not scared of us. They didn't think we were going to be able to do anything. Um, it's a notoriously hard industry to organize. So we could rock up to like disciplinary procedures or grievance procedures and have it won within half an hour, have our demands won within half an hour because the employers just weren't expecting it. But now, recently, um, our branch chair went to do a disciplinary over a member of staff had been accused of stealing a £2 cup of coffee, which her manager actually gave to her. Um, And when he rocked up to do it, thinking this will be easy, it's over £2, they had um, a lawyer there who specialised in employment law to take on one of us, you know. Um, In terms of our campaigns um, at the minute, uh, well, what actually launched the hospitality campaign was um, a battle in a um, burrito bar. Uh, what happened was there was staff continuously being, um, being subjected to really dangerous um, health and safety. Um, there was places in, 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 these, in these restaurants where there wasn't even hot running water. Employment were not taken seriously, the impact of really tiring work schedules on people's mental health. They weren't taken seriously, um, issues of harassment by customers and that. Um, and they put up a really strict, a really hard battle. They refused to talk to the union for, for such a long time. But what, what we did was we staged this um, sort of this act where we... Signed, got slow to members of staff to sign a petition to say that working there was affecting their mental and physical health and um, we got the majority of workers in all the stores to, to, to agree to this and then once we were handing the petition in we also got everyone who worked for this for this workplace to put on a red bandana at the same time so then when this employer came down, To see what we wanted to see that we were handing a petition this guy who's over six foot tall ex-ulster rugby player was physically shaking he was actually physically shaking at the at, at the very thought that his his employees actually did have the courage to stand up to him um but we can we can see this we can see this changing very quickly i think um i think the bosses are starting to clue on to us in our new in our latest sort of um industrial struggle in um in, in a bar the employer sort of saw us coming so they've played a very impressive divide and rule tactic and it's um, they're calling, they're whispering in staff's ears, and that anyone who wants to join a union is just lazy, you should you should be proud of the, your hard work, you know, we give you loads of benefits, um, we give you your deposit back if you leave us for your uniform, you know, uh, we, 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 we give you £5 a day food allowance, so why could you possibly want to to group together with these, you know, bunch of so-called lazy
0: people um, when, when you already have this? it's a it sounds pretty unsophisticated on the employer's part because i know in the united states like the likes of walmart like there's a whole industry there in terms of union busting you know where they have videos that they show employees when they join walmart you know where they're they're discouraged i know i've seen one of the airlines in the us as well like where they even put up advertisements uh, on the insides of the planes uh you know for the uh, cabin crew kind of discouraging them from getting organized and then i think the most notorious example of them all is um, is Tesco's who've engaged a uh, a union busting firm, uh, the name of which is, is momentarily escaped me. It might come back Black something. I think uh, the name is like an appropriately evil sounding name. But again, it's uh, like it, uh, it, 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 it's something like that. But they, again, it's um, a whole um, kind of science behind uh, trying to undermine uh, the union getting a foothold uh, in in the first place. Uh, within the, the workplace. So it seems from what you're saying Amy is that uh, the employers are beginning to slowly catch on but they may try and professionalize their uh, their uh, their opposition to uh, the Unite getting a greater foothold uh, within the hospitality trade uh, in the north and in the south as well because I know it hasn't gone unnoticed and, and we've seen initial actions around as I said the Ivy restaurant um, around tips policy but that, that could be the, the means by which you know, Unite can make a headway uh, in the south in, in the same sector as well.
3: Yeah. I, meant, I meant to mention as well, actually, this is, this is how smart this sort of particular employer was being. Um, uh, the staff originally came to the union um, over an issue of sexual harassment. A um, uh, floor staff was groped by a guy who, on the night, was kicked out. But he knew the owner, so he said to the owner... Oh, he was kicked out and barred, but then he said to the owner, like, this is ridiculous, you know? So the owner unbarred him and let him back in so long as he gave the girl an apology card with 20 quid in it, Hmm. which is so sickening. But then to cover his back, he started working with um, a charity in the north um, about... help that supports victims of sexual abuse so you can just see that they know that this is going to be playing on their reputation which is the big thing
0: and they really try to cover their tracks and they play the dirtiest of tricks to do it like. So, so a bit of PR involved. Uh, I'll, I'll bring yourself in Stephen. Uh, for people who don't recall there was a, as I mentioned earlier on, a very significant um, dispute fought out in Bus which was um, I think it was a more difficult dispute than the other public transport uh, struggles that took place around the same time. In the sense that the I think if I got the sequence right in my head, uh, the workers in Lewis uh, won a very significant I think eighteen percent pay rise on the back of a of a, a strike um, where, if you like, the the shop stewards locally kind of took control uh, within scope of the con- of the actual conduct of the dispute and they got a, a fairly decent outcome. And then I think Dublin Bus workers secured uh, an 11.25% pay rise again on the back of, of some limited uh, strike days around uh, like 2015, early 2016 I think. But then I think in Buceran, it was a trickier dispute in a sense because if you like, unlike the other two uh, parts of the public transport sector and unlike Irish rail, that there was already kind of quite well established private sector competition. So there was a, a certain kind of vulnerability there that kind of uh, was led led to the employers thinking they could put the boot in maybe with less resistance uh, you know, from bus and workers but do, do you want to recall a little bit about that dis- dispute and, and the well, outcomes?
2: Yeah really we went in on 2016 the end of 2016 for the, for the pay claim and um, it soon emerged in back into early 2017 that the company were then not only not going to grant us um, a pay award but they were coming after our, t- our core terms and conditions. It was a fierce story battle that went on in the WRC and they were they were stating that they were gonna they were gonna be fined for actually they were gonna be bankrupt. So it came to a situation one one night when they were going to enforce these uh, necessary cuts to save the company, and there was an all-out strike, I'm easily called. And we stood on um, the picket line for a couple of weeks, and uh, the picture was soon emerging that there was a reality that the government. And CIE, the National Transport Authority, were going to let us. They were actually let, let us fall. They wanted rid of us. We decided, or certain people decided, that there was there was drastic action needed to be taken here because we were literally on our own, and it was only with the help of, of really the the train drivers and Dublin bus drivers who came out on a particular morning um, on unofficial um, action when. All the services were blocked and pulled from the, from the railway stations right around the country. Where especially the effects of blocking Dublin really, really brought us back to the negotiating table, and the true, the, the true picture really emerged. What, where, where, the company really never uh, thought it through. What they, were, what they were going to do. All that their, their, what they were, their, their plan was was to cut our time conditions in half. When, when we had legal advice that they couldn't do that. An optimization progress uh, process came in, and still there was a vote taken. And after after three weeks out on, on on the picket line, it was accepted. But that's to this to this to this day day now there has been a new pay claim been brought forward to the workforce, and um, from the labor court the new labor court uh, recommendation. And only maybe it was ten days ago that was rejected and by 72 percent to 28 uh, percent and it's quite simply was exposed that the money being offered uh, on the table was not even a pay rise not even a pay restoration from the like the previous agreement people had suffered uh, pay cuts of between a 100 and 150 quid a week it was outright rejected and there was also new new terms brought into this agreement where new entrants were going to be asked to be to enter into a seven-year pay scale where current current employees are, are on a four-year pay scale they were also asked to to work with possibility of being, of uh, working maybe 36 hours where the current contract is 39 so that would have been a pay cut as well to be fair on this one i um uh, I, I was i conducted a ballot and there were so many people who had left the company in the past couple of years so disenfranchised by the new work practice brought in from the previous agreement and so many drivers came in I I thought to myself there's not much hope of a victory here but having explained the document to people over the past couple of weeks in terms of you know is it right to have a two-tier pay system in this company going forward should we be just looking for pay restoration people took it on board and there was a massive no Um. But the real thing that we took out of our dispute was the unofficial drastic action taken to take into the streets causing widespread disruption to, to Dublin commuters was the, was, the, was the major turning point. And we now have learned the lessons that sometimes it's just no good to stand on a picket line. That this hardcore action sometimes is the stuff you need to win these battles. And now, again, we're facing into a no. and The, the, the company have yet to respond to um, to a refusal of the terms of conditions so it's very interesting times in terms of what's happening in Bus Ireland considering considering that's what's coming down the road and that the, the NTA and the government seem hell-bent now on tendering out more licenses I think this is a this is a battle we must win.
0: Just what, what, one of the kind of key themes in terms of the the dispute as it is now is this notion of again of uh, funding a notional pay rise for existing staff to actually making the conditions worse for, for the future intake mm. and then just from the point of view of w- one of the big I think themes and challenges uh, for the, the trade union movement is the engagement of young workers and obviously th- we're hearing some good examples of, of uh, that being done uh, in, in Belfast but uh, I know again from talking to uh, activists I know in the teacher unions and I, th- I dare say it's the same in the, the HSE Tony that when two-tier pay was brought in uh, that it, it caused and it has caused enormous resentment from those that have suffered the consequences of being on a lower tier, younger uh, workers in particular, and in a the sense that, uh, they feel a betrayal. Uh, in part, maybe directed uh, uh, towards our own colleagues, but but particularly in towards the the union leaderships that kind of proactively sold this and um, and recommended this uh, to to our members, but. Um, it's I mean one of the things that brought the nurses out, but also like that uh, the the offer to supposedly resolve this issue was rejected by two of the teacher unions last year. But uh, I was in the ambulance service. It's 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 part and parcel of of, of the the grievances that uh, exist right across the, the public service and in the HSE as well. It's it's identical. It's, it's not it's
1: not specific to any one sector. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a it's a it's a definite attempt to break unions. It's de- it's a definite attempt to break people's faith in unions. It's, it's, it's a definite attempt to uh, to change collective into single responsibility and uh, allow workers be on uh, reduced terms and conditions. And when they look to see, um, you know, is there anybody else in my group or anybody with a similar contract to me where we can actually fight together? There's nobody there because nobody has the same contract. We've introduced the contract system into the uh, ambulance service. We had generalized terms and conditions, which umbrellas everybody. Where our recent staff now, over the last five or six years, have been issued with single uh, um, contracts specific to themselves, and you know, we're we're trying to educate our people that, uh, while going through this dispute in in the uh, in the real activity that trade unions should engage in, and the fault of this uh, um, fight that we have, and the fault of the disillusionment in, in with regard to. Uh, the trade union um movement that is is you know that we feel coming from our young people is the responsibility and the fault of the actual trade union leadership because i remember trade union uh, leaders um negotiating pay cuts for public servants mm. and at the same time asked if they were taking pay cuts and they said no we don't believe in pay cuts so i won't take a pay cut but the same people negotiated pay cuts for their uh, for our members the same people down at this uh, you know at the same time said, you're better off in the agreement, Crow Park and Haddington Road, because within the agreement, you have protection. Outside the agreement, you have no protection. And so um, they asked the workers, they balloted the workers and the workers said no, because the workers believe in in collective um, trade unions. But the trade union leadership had to be reminded that you know it's the workers that tell you what to do, it's not the other way around. And I get very angry about this at times because Partnership in itself has been sold to us in place of uh, the, if you like, the larkin Conley ideology. And partnership has failed because we've moved ourselves from the hard seats on this side of the table um, and sat on the far side of the table in partnership with the employers. And as Amy said earlier on, employers don't have your best uh, wishes at heart. Forget about it. You're fooling yourself if you're sitting on the same side of the table as them. And you're going to call them your friends, and you're going to call them your partners. What partnership has has uh, um, produced for our people is it's produced austerity, it's produced um, you know uh, job uh, losses, uh, it's produced uh, re- uh, reductions in basic pay, it's introduced uh, universal social charges, it's introduced pension levies, it's introduced unaffordable housing. It's introduced a lack of public housing, it's introduced 5,000 kids uh, uh, who are now registered as homeless. Give me a break about partnership, it doesn't work. Get off your backside and realise that the members of the union actually work the unions. That's the lifeblood. that's the pulse of the union. And Until the union leaders actually realise that um, we're actually in trouble. We don't do institutions in this country. We reject institutions we take down institutions as a people because our culture is not to tip our forelock and bend our knee we actually fight back the trade union leaders need to realize that the trade union movement is slowly turning into an institution and if the actual trade union movement as other institutions halls have emptied and they've nobody to preach on the pulpits our union halls i predict will empty because already we can't find Trade union activists in the system because they become so disillusioned with the new ideology of the trade union movement, which is partnership. It doesn't work. End of story.
0: I mean, just to take up that theme and maybe draw things to a bit of a conclusion, because I know Stephen has to renew the parking on his uh, on his car. But uh, I mean, I think the, there's a very negative lesson. I think all of us agree can be drawn from the experience of social partnership, which, if you like, formally speaking, at an institutional national level. Was drawn to a certain close at the eve of the crisis because the employers actually abandoned it because they thought that they could get a squeeze something more out of the the workforce by dispensing with it and just seriously putting the boot in. And what we were confronted with was a whole generation of uh, of workers who were kind of robbed of the experience of kind of doing traditional trade union organisation, standing up to their employers, and it was quite, uh, they were kind of a bit disarmed uh, in terms of how to actually deal with that situation. Well, I think one of the, the positives from what Amy has said is that, um, you know, traditions can be rebuilt and the movement can be rebuilt if it's rebuilt from the bottom upwards. But I mean, just what, what, what Stephen was saying earlier on that, even in the course of two and a bit years within, well, you have had a certain churn of people leaving uh, the company and others have come in, but obviously you're still there and there's other people who've gone through the experience of the 2017 street that are still there. And I mean, I'd venture that coming in to the struggles ahead, whether it's the specific stuff around worker safety, but also in terms of the potential of of a pay struggle, that um, the experience of two years ago is something that that you take into this. And I dare say you probably come into this struggle uh, knowing more and maybe better prepared for, for things that can happen like uh so you, you know, but that, that that was a useful experience for you two years ago.
2: Yeah, very very much so. Um the lessons learned were like hard lessons but when we're already pre- preparing ourselves for this battle ahead, um we can't afford, I believe, to be standing out um on the pick line, just as you say, scratching your arse, I believe that we must stand up and fight this in every way possible now. Um the the threat that keeps being repeated to us is that um Again did the, the same old things that're they gonna let you fall the place would close um your jobs be jobs would be gone if it's like we are now a standalone we're standalone one of the last one of the last semi state companies are still in existence there, an awful lot of them have been privatized and and honestly like the NBRU were like a, a standalone union not mem- not a member of congress. We don't really have too many friends out there and and, and the truth be told. A lot of people out there in the trade union movement would be glad to see us go so we actually do believe in the NBRU that if we were to go like the serie companies would soon be handed over to private operators so we have to keep that in our mind as well but i think it's vital to 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 realize that there is there is a real need for public transport and and you know we have to make the arguments as well about the the climate emergency and that and and the absolute need for a properly run public transport for this going forward so we ha- we can use these arguments as well as the hardcore industrial action to to, to, to fight our case and um, for for the battles ahead so it's um well, well that, that's interesting because it's
0: political trade unionism maybe, maybe put politics with a, a small p in the sense that that there's a battle of ideas being waged mm. in society uh you know that brings in everything like some of the historical points uh that Tony's made about uh, some things about the Irish state and institutions, but also the, how the environment actually is, is factored in, if you like to the to the propaganda that the, the workers in public transport will have to make. But uh, I maybe mean, just maybe a, a, similar to that in terms of the uh, the work that's done by Unite in the north, and and obviously a big issue that confronts the trade union movement, organising in the north is, is the, the sectarian division, and I, I don't know how that plays out in the hospitality sector. Right? Is it the case that the, the workforces are are more integrated than would be the case with some of the traditional. Employments in the north, like for example, uh, you know the likes of Bombardier and Shorts, will be seen as traditionally uh, Protestant workplaces. And then, if you like, uh, at many branches of the public service will be seen, would tend to be more uh, Catholic nationals. That'll be the way uh, it would be crudely painted. But in the hospitality sector, like uh, what's been the experience so far in terms of organising, you know, with the with the, the division in, in, in northern society and and you know, uh, 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 does it surface in a workplace situation sectarianism in the workplace? Because the unions. have some good traditions there as well in terms of standing up to sectarianism
3: yeah definitely well i think um in the hospitality industry in the north there's definitely um it's definitely not leaning one way or the other it's very much a mixed industry and for a lot of young people actually because of the failures of the sectarian parties to overcome to overcome the division left from the troubles it's the first time that you're gonna meet someone like if if you're a Protestant, it's it might be the first time you're gonna meet someone who is a Catholic or vice versa. Um, so I think it's been actually really useful because we've seen um, young people for the first time recognizing that um, this 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 guy from the Falls, even if he's from, from the craigie they're actually tied up in the same struggle and they actually have the same enemies and they're recognizing sort of more increasingly that the the main parties are are failing them and overcoming and overcoming the struggles that that they're facing so it's it's really played a huge role in bringing people together f- across community
0: divides in that sense so i'll just I'll, I'll do a thank you kind of wrap up um in terms of uh thank the Tony, uh, Stephen, and Amy uh, for participating in this podcast, which I think for people listening in uh, will give a sense that, uh, you know, in the sense that we're th- we have people here from the private sector, the semi state sector, and, and the state sector, um, workers of different generations. I hope uh, uh, Stephen and Tony don't mind me saying, uh, but different kinds of background experiences. But in, in, in actual fact, uh, I think what is distinct is that uh, there's a lot in common in terms of what workers confront. Uh, north and south but also in terms of, of the different sectors as well in terms of employer resistance that uh, as far as employers are concerned uh, no matter what sector you are in there's never a good time for a pay rise there's never a good time to improve the conditions uh, of workers and that uh, there's no easy uh, route um, no matter which sector you are in to actually try and uh, improve or even maintain the conditions that you've you've won in the past and that very much uh, that, that the strength uh, of, of the struggle that's fought relies largely upon uh, the level of active participation at rank-and-file level that things can't be left in the hands of a remote kind of trade union bureaucracy officialdom uh, that their natural inclination is, is to kind of cut, cut a deal uh, and you know one that doesn't realise potentials uh, but that actually is the people that have to live with the consequences, the workers on the ground that and, and live with the consequences of how hard the struggle is fought and not not hard that, that you know they, they're they the most invested in actually in trying to get, get the best possible uh, outcome so Uh, We'll we'll wrap it up uh, there for now, okay?